You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 518 for April 22nd, 2020. On today's show, remembering bassist Henry Grimes. If you value this show and the work that has gone into producing it for 13 straight years, I hope you'll become a member. You can do that for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com join. You get bonus episodes, early access to every show, and more. Again, that's thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks. I had the pleasure and honor of spending some time with Henry Grimes on a couple different occasions. The first and longest time was in 2008 at a jazz festival in upstate New York. And then again, a few years later, I got to hang out with him a little bit at the 55 Bar in New York City when we were both there to watch Carmen Stoff, uh, about which more a little bit later. One of the things that always attracted me to Henry, besides his playing, and, you know, this is a guy who played with Sonny Rollins, Pharaoh Sanders, Cecil Taylor, Albert Eiler, Don Cherry, Charles Mingus, Thelonious Monk. I mean, the list is as long as your arm. But one of the things that attracted to me to him besides his playing was the fact that he's a poet. A few years ago, a few, I mean, more than a decade ago now, I got a copy of Henry's book, Signs Along the Road, and I had forgotten until I got it out to read you something from it that Henry had signed it for me. Just says to Jason from Henry Grimes, which I'm super happy to see. I forgot that was the case, and it's nice to have a little piece of him here with me. I wanted to read you one of his poems from this book called Eternal Mysticism, Virtue, and calm. Somewhere, someplace, in the mystic shell of mine, and hidden, forces aggregate. They are the images of magic beings, marking well, to toe and line, the mystic rhythm that they had surmounted in all of Page's history and rhyme. We see them walking, as though marching, every day in every way. They had, then, in illusion mystique, as if as they had going to the ritual, grown in time and gone beyond the gate, a form of stars and legendered magnifyings of alembic glory. In our places, in our spiritual steads, going to the ritual in a straight line pointing eastward to the indoor place, placed under the altar as the sacred shrine. This must have always happened. Somewhere, in the mystery of all time. That's a poem by Henry Grimes found in his book Signs Along the Road. I also, if you'll indulge me, wanted to read you a poem that I wrote for Henry back when I first met him in 2008, in September of 2008. This is a poem titled simply For Henry Grimes. Henry sits in a plastic chair on the balcony, drinking water and watching the lake. Below the surface, roiling motion. Outside, reflected sky. Henry waits to be surprised, never knowing where this note, here, will take him. Sometimes, he doesn't find his way back for a long time. 
Henry talks with his hands, plucking and bowing his message, going to the ritual and inviting all to follow. And you'll see in that poem that I've made reference to the Henry Grimes poem that I read to you and also a piece of music that he wrote with the same title, Going to the Ritual. Now, for the rest of this episode, if you are a member of the Jazz Session, you will already have heard the content that follows because it had originally been a bonus episode of this show. But with Henry's passing, I wanted to make it available to everybody. If you're not a member, you will never have heard it. Part of this show is an interview with a musician and my friend, Carmen Staff, who had a long relationship with Henry that began in a way not related to music. And then I'm going to play you the interview I did when I first met Henry, which for a variety of reasons never made it into the show proper, but which now it seems fitting to put out there in the world. So I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode, which features Henry Grimes. Thanks. Now, Henry has a pretty amazing story. He played with many of the greats, especially the kind of avant-garde greats, and then disappeared off the face of the earth until being found, at least found as far as the jazz world is concerned. I'm sure he knew where he was. Disappeared off the face of the earth until being found decades later by a jazz fan who didn't believe the reports that Henry had died. Eventually, William Parker gave Henry a bass, and Henry returned to the world of jazz. Around the time that all that was happening, that Henry was making his return, I had a chance to interview him. And because the interview didn't go as I expected, I never ended up airing it on the jazz session. So what I've done here is interview Carmen Stoff about her relationship with Henry, and then I'm going to play you the interview that I did many years ago with Henry. And as you'll hear me say in the interview with Carmen, I wish I had been better prepared. And I don't mean in the sense of knowing Henry's story, but I mean better prepared in the sense of knowing the kind of person Henry was, because I think the interview would have gone better had I known. So first, my conversation recorded just this past week with Carmen Stoff. I'm always happy to have Carmen Stoff on the show. Carmen, it is great to chat with you. It's great to chat with you too, Jason. Thank you for asking me. My pleasure. And we're uh, going to be talking about Henry Grimes, but uh, as people can hear, you are out in the world. And I think this is actually moments after you were making some music. Am I right in thinking that? That's correct. Yeah, I was just with Allison Miller at her house um, playing through some of her new compositions uh, that she'd asked me to kind of take a look at. And um, she's got this big project in the works that uh, the compositions are for. So it was really cool to get a chance to kind of sneak preview them. So everyone stay tuned for that. (laughs) That's really fabulous. Uh, And I'll just I'll encourage folks, uh, Carbon and Allison were on together um, earlier this year, last season, but earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can find that at thejazzsession.com. But uh, turning our attention to the subject of this bonus episode, uh, folks will also either just have heard or just be about to hear. I haven't decided yet. um, A conversation with Henry Grimes that I recorded, uh, I think, 11 years ago in Lake George, New York. And. Uh, I've known you for quite a while and so therefore know that you have some connection with Henry as well. And so maybe we could just start at the top and you could tell me how you first met him. Sure. Well, I think I met him about the same time that you did that interview. I've been trying to remember exactly when it was, um, but it was, you know, definitely 
I think it was more than 10 years ago, might've been 11 or so. And um, I actually was a patient in a medical institution, or I had been a patient there at the same place that one of his relatives was um, a patient. And so we actually met not through music at all. It was through this um, kind of fluke situation where I happened to meet, you know, this, this family member of his and got to talking to them. And they said, Oh, well, you know, Oh, you play jazz. Oh, well, you know, you should meet this person who I'm related to, who's a uh, bass player. And, you know, he's a jazz bass player. And I said, Oh, okay. Well, that sounds interesting. You know, I play jazz. I love to meet a bass player. And they said, Oh, and um, his name is Henry Grimes. Do you know him? I said, do I know him? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, not personally, but I would love to. And I, you know, I know his music. And I, at that time, I actually did know a little bit about his story and, this was kind of after he had had this very long hiatus in his career and had been kind of back out playing. And um, I, I think William Parker had given him a bass That's at that right. time. And so he was, you know, on the road playing and, and playing in festivals and, and every, every, you know, kind of everybody in the music world was rejoicing that he was back on the scene. So I had heard about him in that context, but um, the fact that I was just, getting this introduction to him kind of at random was really incredible. And so um, it's also cool. If you don't mind me interrupting you for one second, it's very rare when someone says, Oh, you should meet my relative. So-and-so they play, they do the thing you do that that person actually does the thing you do and also does it at a reasonable level where the conversation wouldn't just be awkward in one direction or the other. Like, you know, that it's kind of cool that it turned out to be another like actual professional jazz musician. Yeah. I think I feel like that's like, you know, (laughs) yeah, right. Exactly. That's like, you know, some, you meet, you know, two people, uh, uh, you know, meet and one says, I'm, I'm from New York. And the other person says, Oh, do you know? So-and-so, right. It's like, right. Right. Exactly. And then you actually do. Right. Yeah. That shouldn't, that should not have worked. (laughs) But, um, not only was it, you know, was this person legitimately like a jazz bass player, it was Henry Grimes, who right. was a legend, and, you know, played on all these records that I loved and had worked with, like, an um, incredible range of different musicians, as as your listeners know. And, um, you know, so I was just kind of like, oh, okay. And <laughs> so we met, and um, I think very soon after that, we went to hear some music together. And it was I was with, you know, Henry and a couple of his family members and we went to see this music and kind of talked and, but there was never really any point when, you know, he said, well, so can you really play or, you know, what's your deal or anything? It was just, he was just immediately welcoming. And, um, you know, the whole family was just sort of like, okay, you're our friend now, you know? So um, we kind of kept in touch and, uh, I think I went and heard him play a few more times. He was playing at the Vision Festival, um, maybe the, that summer or the following summer. And somehow we got the chance to jam a little bit. There was a, a time when he came over to my house. I was living in this little kind of um, studio in Brooklyn, and there was really no room for anything but the piano and the bed. I'm sure a lot of these your listeners are familiar with these uh, <laughs> studio situations. And... So I remember that my dad was in town and Henry came over, he brought his bass and we just played duo for, you know, an hour or something. It was like an hour and a half straight of just playing 
And my dad was just sitting on the bed kind of listening because there was nowhere else for him to go unless he waited in the bathroom or something. And it was amazing. I mean, we were, it was, and, and Henry didn't mind, you know, that there was this audience of this one person and we just got so deep in the music that it was like the passage of time was, was not even there. Just, we were talking about this just before and the idea that the passage of time is kind of so relative. And so Henry and I just got into this place playing duo together where, you know, we were just, we went into another space as I'm sure a lot of listeners know when you listen to Henry, that that's what's happening. And so getting to play with him was just like amazing. And how did it even um, happen that he came over to play? You know, I think it might've been a suggestion on, by his wife or somehow we had gotten into this idea that, Oh, we should try to play together sometime. You know, let's just see for fun. Um, and I think also Henry and his wife, maybe they had heard me by then that, um, I was playing intermission piano at this club that used to exist called Puppets in Brooklyn, where John McNeil's band would play. Um, and, you know, between the sets, John would have me play intermission piano, which is kind of a lost art. And um, I think I, I think actually that might have been the first time that Henry actually heard me was coming to one of those gigs. And then um, which is like also amazing that he would just show up for my <laughs> intermission piano gig in Brooklyn, you know. Uh, and then come over to my house and play. And, you know, so we kind of got to be friends and then also started getting to play together a little bit, or I, I started getting these chances where he was willing to bring his bass and come over to my house. And, um, and then at some point I had a CD release party that I was, um, I had an album called reflection that I was trying to, you know, play and get out there. And I, asked Henry if he would sit in with me. I think it was sort of a all coincidence, this serendipitous thing where um, I had been asked about bringing a band to the stone. And so I thought, well, that's amazing. I should do my CD release there. But also Henry said that he was interested in playing. So maybe I could do like a duo thing with him there at the stone as, you know, one of my part of my uh, night there. And so it, I kind of was able to put together this night where, I played trio with the band from the CD and then uh, duo with Henry for the set after that. And I think that was the first kind of real gig that we played together. Um, and I have to thank, I think it was Alicia Siegel who actually asked me to do that gig at the Stone. She was curating it that week or that month. And this is, you know, for the listeners, this is the old Stone before it moved to its location in the new school, which right. is where it is now. So. Um, yeah, I was trying to kind of remember exactly how the timeline went, but all of this happened pretty quickly after I met him, you know, we sort of got to know each other. He, I heard him play, he heard me play and, and sort of agreed to get together and do some playing. And then I said, well, I have this CD release. So, um, so we did that. And, and a couple other times we, you know, I, he was just gracious enough to either do a gig that I asked him to do or to sit in on something. And, um, and it was amazing. And just getting to hear the way that he talked about the music or didn't talk about the music was, um, you know, I feel like I learned so much from that. He, he would just say uh, something very minimal. Like when we finished playing uh, for an hour in my living room, he would say, the music is in the air. I remember him saying that like after, right after we finished and there was silence, he said, 
the music is still in the air or the music is in the air. And I remember thinking like, what does he mean exactly? Does it mean that, you know, the music is still ringing in the air or does he, or was he sort of saying like, what we just did there is always going on and we just tapped into it and the music is just in the air and we're just plugging into it whenever, you know? And, and I think that's kind of one of the things about playing with him is that, or just listening to him is that there are so many possible ways to interpret the few things that he says about the music that you almost have to kind of just suspend your rational, you know, music theory mind and just go like, okay, let me just get in, let me get beyond all of that and just get to being present with what is actually, what he's actually playing with the actual sounds without trying to make sense of them. Um, yeah, he feels very something... much like a living Buddhist koan in some I was just going to say, exactly. There's almost something like a Zen koan about it. You know, these things that it's like you could try to analyze and and you can and you can ask him and I've tried to say things like, Hey, so, you know, when you played with Cecil Taylor and there were two bass players, like what, you know, I, I, I would sort of ask these specific questions like, well, what, what would you do? And like, would one person take one role and the other, you know, kind of asking these very specific jazz school type <laughs> questions that he just wouldn't really answer in a way that, that I could write down and say like, okay, that's it. That's the answer kind of it reminds me a little bit of um you know Wayne Shorter another person who will give answers that are that raise like more questions than they answer in some ways um yeah and i think uh i have decided while while we were talking together that actually uh Henry's that my chat with Henry is going to follow my chat with you because i think this conversation mm-hmm. is a nice context and i think people will hear that one of the difficulties with the interview I tried to conduct with Henry was I went there knowing his, you know, story of being lost and found again. And, and Mm -hmm. this kind of, you know, amazing like Hollywood level narrative of his life. And I went into this interview very much just wanting him to tell me that story out loud in words. And Mm -hmm. it, that's exactly not the way he talks or thinks or and yeah. nor is it as far as i could tell something he particularly cared about and mm-hmm. i think at that time i mean i'm talking like i was a child back then i was in my mid 30s but at that time i don't think i was yet ready to meet him on the ground where he was actually standing and i mm-hmm. you know now i think if i sat down with him outside a hotel room i would never ask him any of the questions that i tried to ask you know 11 years ago because i just i have at least some more more understanding of what folks like that are about Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well and also i mean he's given a lot of answers in other forms like you know he's got a book of poetry and i think he continues to write poetry i believe um he does art like visual art also um drawings and you know, and of course, just listening to his playing. I mean, that's, that was the main thing for me. It was just really, really listening without, and or trying anyway, to not have any preconceptions about like, well, is this, you know, is he implying chords here? Or, you know, what's going on in the music? How do I analyze it in this very kind of Western theory approach kind of way? You know, it's, it, it's not about that at all. It's about just let the music happen and 
I think my the times I've loved it the most have been when I just close my eyes and just try to get inside of it and feel like I'm just experiencing it without any concepts or judgments or anything, which, you know, it's saying it out loud like that feels so cliche, but it really is. That is really, I think, how to listen to him, or at least in my experience. Um, and I remember once uh, he was doing a masterclass, somehow this masterclass happened where he was at Berkeley in Boston. And, oh, you know, all these people came, all these bass players and just musicians came. And he played a little bit and talked a little bit about I don't I, I wish I could remember exactly what he said in in talking about his approach to music. But I do remember that someone raised their hand and said, well, you know, when you play this way in this very kind of free, open way, how can you tell if you're having a good night or not? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> which struck me as hilarious, because like as though the only way to know whether music was good or not was like, did you make all the changes, you know, <laughs> or <laughs> and not to belittle the person who asked that question, because. I, I think I, that's a question I would have asked too at some point in, in jazz school or, you know, in my development. And it's just, but it is just sort of like such a funny thing to think like, well, how do you know if this is good? Right. If you don't have, if we're not playing by the same rules that, you know, my, my sort of like narrow perspective has led me to embrace so far about, what music is and how it should be judged. And, yeah. It's like asking, you know. did the Buddha win? Like, what? yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it is like asking that. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's like, well, not everything is, <laughs> yeah. you know, has like that, that framework isn't then maybe just doesn't apply here. Um, but I don't, I, I think he was very gracious. I don't remember how he replied, but <laughs> I just remember I was, you know, slightly mortified on, on behalf of, <laughs> everyone but <laughs> <laughs> well it sounds you know. like getting to spend time with him was a, a an an eye-opening experience in, mm -hmm. not just in terms of uh i guess it sounds like it was a, a more uh, and if we're gonna use words like we've used let's go all the way like a, a more meta experience um in both mm -hmm. i guess in both the senses maybe the sanskrit and the uh, the meme sense where you got a chance to look at the music from higher up or wider out or farther away or something like that than, than maybe would have otherwise been the case. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And, um, you know, I'm so, I still feel like it was just this kind of stroke of luck, really. I mean, it was like, there was no reason that had to do with my own, like career or playing or anything that really led me there. It was kind of just being in the right place at the right time, but I'm so grateful that it happened because I just got this chance to, you know, have my, my ears and my heart and everything just open up in a way that they hadn't before. And I mean, I guess, you know, some people might think, Oh, well it was meant to be, or it somehow wasn't, you know, a coincidence or something. Um, but, it, you know, they say the teacher will appear when the student is ready, I guess. And so maybe it was something like that. But I also don't want to um, kind of overstate what what it was. You know, it's not like I was um, serving as his apprentice or anything like that. And um, the way that some of those relationships can happen. 
um, it was more like just, you know, luck and this, the fact that he was gracious enough to say, sure, you know, I'll take you in under my wing as this piano player. I'll play with you. All right. And I do remember him saying something about my playing that was a huge compliment, him saying that there's a lot of images in my playing, a lot of imagery. And I remember thinking, wow, that, I mean, that sounds like a good thing coming from someone who's a visual artist and a poet as well as a musician. Absolutely. Like, like I'll, I'll take it as a compliment from Henry Grimes. <laughs> so, yeah, it definitely opened my mind for sure. Well, Carmen Stoff, it is uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show, and I really thank you for uh, for sharing these reflections, and I'm sure all the, the members of the jazz session will be you know really excited to kind of get this this very rare look at uh, you know the interaction between two really wonderful musicians. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jason, and I'm really glad that you are making this available for people to, to hear his words as well, and um, he deserves all of the recognition and, and props that he can get, so thank you for, for that as well. Let's take a break from this uh, archive footage to remind you that the Jazz Session is member-supported, and in fact the only way I can continue to do it, and in fact the way I'm able to pay my rent and put food on the table, is because people decide that they value this show and its 13 years of archives enough to become members. I hope that you will join the people who already support the Jazz Session by going to thejazzsession.com slash join. Memberships are just 5 or $10 a month. You get bonus episodes, early access to every show, and more. More. Thanks so much for becoming a member. Now, back to the show. And now we jump into the Wayback Machine back more than a decade for my chat with Henry Grimes and his wife. My guest is bassist Henry Grimes. He's a legend in the jazz world, and uh, some folks thought a lost legend for a long time, but he's back now with uh, amazing music in a variety of contexts, including uh, today we heard him with Roswell Rudd and the Shout Band. And uh, you've just recorded recently a CD with uh, Rashid Ali. Yes. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about how you and Rashid got together for this project. Well, uh, we got together in New York City, um, WKCR, uh, and uh, pretty soon we started talking about making a recording, so we made it with uh, Rashid Ali. And uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it was a very interesting uh, uh, thing to do uh, at that time. And, uh, well, it still is interesting, but uh, that's how, I uh, know, that's how we, I, got, I got with uh, uh, Rashid and myself doing this, uh, WKCR, the music, I mean, the radio station in uh, New York, it is Columbia, a- Columbia, sorry. No, please. Uh, it is a really fascinating record, and it seems like it must have been a real challenge because it is just you and Rashid, who's a drummer, and mm-hmm. so there's there's bass and drums and there's some poetry, but mm-hmm. most of it is bass and drums, and uh, oh, and some violin. That's right, there's violin as well. Uh, but it seems like it must be a real challenge to come up with musical ideas for as long as that record is. It's about forty five minutes of continuous playing when there's just the two of you. Do you mm-hmm. find that Do you find that to be challenging or the kind of challenge that you like? Yes, and uh, <clears throat> the result of that challenge uh, we, were, we were all feeling is it's really coming along uh, uh, very well. I'm very, very uh, pleased with the results. And you, had, you and Rashid had known each other 
years ago as well, right? Yes. Yeah. When did you guys first meet? Do you remember? Oh wow, that must have been about uh, had to had to be about 1968 or before 1968, some sometime around the same time. You know, I think uh, Rashi was trying or about to be going with the Sun Ra's orchestra at the time. But uh, I didn't know him then, but uh, I mean, uh, you know, he was always doing something like that. And uh, I never did get a chance to know him that well, uh, not until I came out uh, with this disorder uh, of, uh, of uh, recording. Sure. Do you want to break it? Sure. Actually, you made a record with Rashid in the 60s. It's an Archie Shepard record called On This Night. It's the only other time you recorded together. And that was 1960, I don't remember. But it's called On This Night, and it was an Archie Chef session. Okay. You don't remember? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I do, but I haven't, I haven't paid too much attention to that. Strange because they came up in Philadelphia playing the same music with this, I'm not the same, you know, in the same language and um, with a number of the same musicians. Sure. But they somehow never really got together until, except for that one time in New York. Until now. Let me take one more quick break to remind you about the people who make this show possible, starting with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow The Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Instagram at The Jazz Session. I'm posting a photo right now from more than 20 years of jazz shows and interviews at both those sites, more or less, each weekday. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It greatly improves my ability to reach new people. And if you'd like to keep up to date on my podcasts, poetry, and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. And now back to the episode. What was what was Philadelphia like to grow up in? Was it a good town to, to grow up and um, learn music in? I think so. A lot of people like it, and probably, and a lot of people don't like it. You know, it's. Uh, but uh, I always uh, felt uh, sort of calm about New York. I mean, I feel lucky on one hand, and on the other hand, uh, not satisfied with the uh, social scene and how much uh, musicians can get. You know, what the, what they can do to uh, improve their status. You know, as musicians. And is that what caused you to move to New York? Well, one of the one of the reasons, yes, one of the reasons, but not directly because of Rashid. But one of the reasons were was that uh, uh, I couldn't uh, I couldn't make enough money being a musician, you know. And I uh, what I did as a result, I went to San Francisco and waited there, you know, and uh, to see but maybe I could something come my way and uh, out in San Francisco, but. Yeah, but it didn't happen. Henry was a teenager, and he went to Juilliard. That's when he first came right. to New York from Philly. He's not talking about San Francisco. That's mm. a few years later. He's asking why he left Philly, and basically well, left Philly to go to Juilliard, right? Uh, yeah. Left Philly to go. Oh, you mean to uh, Juilliard? Yeah. Well, study. You were admitted to Juilliard after. He finished high school in Juilliard, in New York, mm. right? Yeah. 
Yeah, but uh, so that's that's what happened. Right. So, uh, one thing I've noticed about you is you're a really quiet guy when you speak, and you're an amazingly intense person when you play. And I, I was kind of wondering, in in the years that you weren't playing, was it hard for you to find an outlet for all that intensity for your passion? What did you do instead? I uh, wrote poetry, and. Uh, I just, you know, just did a lot of it that, that time, you know. Uh, well, I'm going to read some of it on a, you know, a few, uh, a few, few places, you know, that I've been working at, and um, as far as I did, as far as I know, that's been a very good result uh, for me. Very good. And you're doing some solo shows coming up, right, with your poetry yes, involved? Yes. Yes. Yes, I am. Um, uh, the, well, that's where I'll be uh, working, uh, playing at, uh, well, well, solo bass, violin, and, uh, and, uh, what happened, you know, what, what has you, uh, what, whatever you have there, uh, but, uh, it'd be very enjoyable, uh, very, very good for me and very joyful, I hope, for the people to listen to me, uh, on a radio program. Did you uh, did you ever have a chance to to perform any of your poetry to read any of your poetry when you were out in out west? No, no, no not out west. But when I came back here, uh, all kinds of things like that would happen uh, uh, after I, you know, had studied enough of what you have to do in in uh, L.A. You know that I was able to uh, really every time I uh, go for for things that way uh, the response. Uh, on my part, comes from something deep, and pretty soon, you know, it happens just before you know I can uh, make out what it's going to be like. You know, <laughs> it sounds it pretty happens. exciting. Yeah, it is very, yeah, very, very, very enjoyable. How have people reacted to you now that you're you're back once again? How do you? I mean, there's a whole not not one generation. There's two generations at mm. least of people who grew up when you weren't playing and now you're another a major force again uh, are you finding a connection with the younger listeners as well yes yeah, young and old now yeah it's uh, that's really really beautiful and uh, enjoyable you know but uh, that's the way it is now i uh, guess uh, about the same kind of people only young and old you know the young are really young some of them and <laughs> some of the old are really old you know it's but it's uh, you know it's very it's very unusual you know and you've, you've been teaching some younger students bass as well right yeah I've, yes i have uh, been a few uh, uh in uh, new york the new york school of music area i got a few uh uh, uh from um a students from uh, the, the NYC, I don't know if you're familiar with, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, that's where I got got a lot of my students. And how do you how do you even begin to teach bass or improvisation to young kids? Where do you even start when you're your first day in the class and well, you're looking at these kids and they want to learn yeah, something? I just figured figured that uh, well there they are and they're staring at me, you know, so I'd better come up with something. So. <laughs> What do you I usually start with? with that. Oh, just uh, why uh, why we like improvisation and what it is to uh, 
just pick up on on some improvisation, uh, especially the way things uh, music can be created by coming out of the blue. You know, you're just coming out of anything at all that uh, you know you you want to, and uh, it, it just eventually became involved in in how uh, what it's like to be. Uh, knowing music from the aspect of coming from no place, you know, and just coming to you, they've already wanted to know what that's like, you know, I mean, what it is. Uh, and a lot of the uh, the students, uh, I, I mean, they could uh, play some things on, uh, uh, you know, come to, come to think of it, you know, I mean, they, uh, they're really uh, in good shape that way, but, uh, you know, a lot of them found it kind of hard to believe you know that uh so i'm sort of the same way too but i mean not about that but about other things you know yeah, it seems like a lot of the students are very technically gifted but maybe there's something you can give them that they can't learn just in a regular school right yeah i uh well what i what i, I do then uh, when they're technically uh, gifted i uh i just uh, uh study improv Im- improvisation you know and uh uh, before that, I thought it was uh, everybody knew about in- improvisation, but no. When I when I got the students, they were really asking some questions and seeking some answers, you know, about something very deep, you know, and it's all taking place in improv- improvisation. Now, you said a minute ago about music coming from no place. Can, can you say a little more about that? Do you do you mean from someplace inside you, or do you mean kind of channeled through you from someplace else, or do you not know? Well, some someplace inside me, or channeled to through uh, through me, you know, by uh, for instance, what your your reaction might have the cause to uh, cause of a magnet to you, you know, but it's it's like uh, it's just something that's unheard of before, you know. It's just it's never been heard in in uh in any region you know and uh, uh the uh the places are just uh it just uh, it's just hard to to tell you know tell any of the people uh, especially the young ones what they what they know from this you know but it's uh very interesting you know to study along we study along together and uh, come uh, come up with with things and when you were a young guy, do you think you were able to to kind of get to that special place with the music, or did it take you some living to to get there? I don't know uh, because, uh, well, for instance, uh, I listened to Art Tatum or or Charlie Parker, and uh, and it's something similar to that, you know. There, you know, so because because uh, when you listen to them, uh, they're, they're the power to. Uh, the, the power that those guys were, you know, is uh, sort of something we all know when in in uh, improvising today, you know, uh, you know, which you know you, that these these musicians uh, knew about how to, you know, what to do about improvising and you know how they, uh, you know, how it's uh, how it's taught now, you know, it's that, that's a fantastic study goes on and on and on, you know. I noticed that a lot of the uh, the poetry that's on going to the ritual and other of your writing that I've read yeah. also seems to be very kind of spontaneous and and talking about that same idea of kind of creation creation in the moment. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think your poetry and your music have a, a parallel that way? 
I think so, yeah. yeah. In fact, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. It's just that, uh, I mean, uh, the way, because the way people uh, react to that, uh, you know, they're telling me about what I did, and I didn't ever think uh, right offhand, you know, that could come out to be that easily understood, but, it, you know, there it is. So you're surprised, too, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and I enjoy that uh, that feeling anyway of improvising and not knowing anywhere, you know, anything about what it's going to be, you know. Just doing something that is show you, you know, that will show you. It would just show you lots of things. Because most of the time, when we think of when we think of performers, we think that the performers know what's going to happen. The audience might not, but the performers do. But it sounds mm-hmm. like a lot of times you don't either, and you're just willing to let it take you where it takes you. Well, we I, we listen to each other, and uh, you know, it's the same thing with uh, as with students, you know. Uh, um, it's the same thing with audiences, you know, only audiences, they sort of uh, reckon about this together, you know, more than one person, you know. Um, uh, yeah, you know, there you have thousands of people, you know, going, maybe going through the same thing. Are you still using olive oil, the base that uh, came yes. from William Parker? Yes. I, and yeah. how's she holding up? Oh, great. I, I just happened to have her with me on this on this tour, you know, and... Uh, it's great, great. That's great. What is it? Uh, what is it that makes it worth playing for you? What is it that makes you want to keep keep doing it and keep making music and keep challenging yourself? Uh, it's uh, like medicine. Uh, you know, it's just uh, that's, that's the best way I can explain it. it just uh, it always has a medical thing to it. You know, it's just uh, I mean, very positive. You know, power of things the way they are in that way come to you and uh, you know it makes you very happy and like that you know it's just uh, uh, I mean you know I'd rather be uh, you know I'd rather be happier than anything else you know and that's uh, he's in love with music yeah that's absolutely yeah it's uh, that's really uh, uh, very uh, well when I try to explain it it gets a little muddled but that's what it is. It's you know, it's really beautiful, great. Well, it's it's such a pleasure to hear you play and and such a joy to talk to you. And I really uh, I thank you for for taking the time and I thank you for all the music. So, thank you, thank, thank you, you for very both. Much. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com/slash/join. Thanks to Carmen Staff again for uh, doing the interview. Thanks to Henry Grimes, and uh, you'll be missed, Henry. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.